0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another awesome episode of For the Love of Money. And I am freaking pumped to do this one today because I am doing it in person with my buddy, Brendan Badejo. Now, if you don't know who Brendan is, he is a three-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champ from Super Bowl Forty-Seven. He's had a great NFL career, but even more so, he is a true champion for equality and an incredibly successful entrepreneur. So we dive in and talk about How both growing up in poverty like he did and playing in the NFL shaped his entrepreneurial success that he's having today. We talk about why equality means so much to him and how you can make a difference whether you're currently successful or not. We talk about why pro athletes make so much money compared to, let's say, teachers or nurses. And we even talk about raising kids in a privileged lifestyle versus the way that he was raised. There are so many quotes, so many nuggets, so many tips. I can't wait for you guys to hear what we are about to unleash. So let's dive in. All right, Brendan, my man. Thank you so much for stopping by to do this with me, man. I'm super excited to be here. Let's let's dive right in, dude. I'm actually pumped because as we were talking about before, you represent every single thing that this podcast is about the way that you have not only crushed it in life, but you've crushed it in making a difference in this world in a really positive way. So of everyone I've interviewed up to this point, man, you are going to be right up there with one of my most exciting interviews. I can't wait. Let's, let's dive into this thing.
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm excited to uh, share my story, but hopefully make a positive impact more
0: than anything. Yeah, that's the main goal here. So to do that, let's first tell people a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us where'd you grow up and how in the world did you end up playing football?
1: Yeah, so it's a kind of funny story. My mom and dad met in uh, Chicago. So my dad's Nigerian, my mom's Irish American. So I always kind of have a joke that my dad's darkest coffee, my mom's whitest cream, and I came out this caramel macchiato complexion here. Um, But so yeah, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm a a 70s baby. My mom and dad met in the 70s. My brother and I uh, were born and we moved right to Chicago, right from Chicago, right to Nigeria as soon as I was born. So my my early on years, until I was about three or four years old, I lived in Lagos, Nigeria, which at the time was the capital of the country, and then moved back to Chicago after my mom and dad kind of went separate ways. My mom moved us back to Chicago. So a single mom with two and then eventually three kids um, raised in basically the inner city of Chicago until I was 10.
0: That's wild. So do you even remember
1: living in Nigeria that young or no? So it's funny coming back to the States, I spoke two languages. So I spoke Yoruba, which is the the native tongue. There's 200 languages in Nigeria. So the national language is English. But so I spoke a little bit of uh, Yoruba and my brother and I, we'd make fun of people. So I still have dreams of us speaking in Yoruba, even though I don't speak it anymore. Um, And then eventually I lost uh, my tongue for that. And now I just speak bad English. (laughs)
0: Love it. Okay. So Growing up, something must have given you the intensity that you have because you're a pretty intense and competitive guy. Matter of fact, Laurie and I got to see it firsthand when you barely, and I mean barely, beat us in Taboo that night. So where does this drive, where does this intensity come from?
1: Yeah, Taboo wasn't too competitive. I was hoping it'd be a little bit of a closer race, but uh, my come wife on, and I, uh, Natalie and I, just we, just, we, we thrashed everybody now. Um, I would have to say that I have a sibling that's 18 months older than, than I am and there was always a constant struggle like my mom always had to work so hard to get us to get along we're the best of friends but we're the fiercest of competitors at the same time um so i would say not only that but just always being an underdog my entire life um just always have a chip on my shoulder always have something to prove um And that's kind of just the card that I was dealt that, you know, I had a little bit of talent, but I had a whole lot of hard work and I was just going to be the guy that's just going to have to work everybody. And that's kind of where that competitive drive comes from. If I, if we're walking down the street, I'm just going to have to walk a little bit harder than you um, just so I can get to our same destination a little bit faster than you. That's kind of my mentality.
0: That explains the workouts that you put me through at, uh, at Orange Theory. You guys did brutal. You got to go check these out. So it's not just drive, it's also discipline. You're, you're one of the few guys I know that you don't drink, uh, you never touch drugs. You know It's pretty rare these days, especially people who have grown up through the league and, and are pro athletes. I know you're around a lot of that stuff. Where does this discipline come from?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish there was a better story about it, but I think I, at an early age, I knew what I wanted to do. And I was kind of one of those kids that by the time I was 10 years old, I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. And my body was going to be the vessel along with that discipline and that mentality of, of, um, sacrifice and hard work. So I just was never really interested into it. But to tell you the truth, um, around that same time, when I was around eight or nine, like I mentioned, we lived in the projects. Um, one of my friends that lived next door, his mom was on drugs and she actually killed him. Um, and so my parents told me that the mom, you know, she was intoxicated or she was on drugs and you know, your friend's gone now because you know, she took your friend's life. The mom took your friend's life. Um, so I, kind of made a pact to myself that I really wasn't ever going to be interested in anything where I wasn't in control of my body and my faculties. And so I've never been enticed. My brother, you know, he's the same as me. He's done everything that I've done in life, accomplished all the same things. And, you know, every once in a while, if he wanted to smoke, uh, marijuana, he'd do it. If he, um, if he's drinking, you know, he'll drink on weekends or casually, or he has wine, and whatnot and he's still accomplished all the same same things that i have but he just it, it, hit, it hit him a different way than it hit me um, i think the good thing that my parents did is that they never censored anything around us as children so i grew up in a in a household where my stepdad did his phd while smoking marijuana It took him to a place mentally where he could achieve more which we know that marijuana could do that along with a lot of other benefits and then we can talk about alcohol. Um, parents would drink around us, and if we wanted to drink or if we wanted to smoke in the house around our parents at a at a, you know at a teenager-ish age, we could have done that. So I was never curious. I never felt like I had to sneak around or go around my parents' back to do anything. We grew up in a pretty open household.
0: So your brother also played professional football at a high level, and you guys had the exact same upbringing for the most part, right? Absolutely, yeah. So would you say to have two brothers make it to the NFL, have great careers, um, is that More nature or nurture that gets you there? I mean, that is a needle in a haystack type of accomplishment.
1: Right. So and honestly, it starts with 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 nature. It starts with nature. We are blessed with the DNA, the abilities to run fast, to put on muscle mass, to be strong, to be able to recover, to be durable enough not to get hurt, to endure all the pounding of being an athlete. But then you, know, you basically have this strong block of wood and then you have to carve that block of wood into something special. Um, and so then that's where the nurture comes into play. Um, the training, the discipline, and all the different sacrifices and time um, and strategizing on how to get to the next level. How are you gonna go from a college or a high school player to a college player? to an NFL player than to an F- NFL player that plays for 10 years, wins a championship, goes to Pro Bowls, goes to Super Bowls and does all those things which my brother did all the things that I did. Um, so yeah, he has the DNA, he has the nature, he has the the nature aspect but also the nurture aspect as well.
0: Very cool. And in case people don't know, I mean you're a three-time Pro Bowler, you you know, Super Bowl 47 champion. Those are remarkable accomplishments. Congratulations. What's Thank your you. best NFL moment that you can remember?
1: Oh man. Um, so there's really two and they go hand in hand. Of course, winning a championship is, um, the pinnacle of, of what every NFL player wants to do, but you want to make a team first, right? So before you can win that championship, you got to make a team. And, uh, for myself, uh, my first game, my brother was next to me. We ran onto the field. We're playing on the same team. So he looks at me. I look at him. We're playing for the Dolphins. It's September, 2003. Um, I've been cut from three NFL teams. I'd been out of the league for several years. I'd been playing in Canada, all over the world. And he's making a comeback. He just sat out a year. And we look across from each other and we look each other in the eye. And we're like, we're going to kick some ass today. And boom, let's go. And we ran out to the field together. So that moment right there, I mean, that, that's up there with winning a championship. But just being able to do that with the person that you kind of idolized as a kid and grew up with. Um, and he's been there every step of the way. Like literally my day one, he was my
0: day one. So um, pretty amazing experience. That's incredible. I can literally picture it. You know, as you know, I, uh, we run this business with, with my brother as well. And to be able to do something like that with a sibling is such a freaking gift because most people, they don't get to do that.
1: Yeah. And think, you know, all the possibilities. How different could you guys be? You could be, you know, there's people out there where one brother's a doctor and the other brother might be in jail or even gone or not around. So just to be able to go through so many life experiences together. Um, and then he's been in the gym business. We both went and did our MBAs and now he's working uh, philanthropically as in, for a nonprofit Um so I mean we've just done so many amazing things together, um, and really it, my mom did an amazing job. So for my mom to be able to go to football games after her kids lived in the projects and collecting food stamps for a long time and government cheese and all the things my mom went through, all the sacrifices, and for her to see her two boys out there and be successful and my my sister as well, um, I, you know every time I see my mom I just give her a big hug and just thank her every time.
0: Props to mom. Let's talk about that upbringing a little bit. So. You grew up in the projects and you saw your mom, like you said, using food stamps to feed the family. Did you ever think that you would be at this level of, of wealth and fame and success or is that one of the things that maybe drove you to that level?
1: Yeah, I think it was an absolute driver because to be one of the have-nots um, and, and really a big part of our success wasn't that my mom did it by herself. It was a community. It takes a community to raise a child, to raise a family. So. I think one of the moments I'll never forget, it was around Christmas time and a family knocked on our door and they delivered gifts. We didn't have a tree. We didn't have gifts. We didn't have anything. And that just stuck with me my entire life. And I wonder like, where's that family at today? It was a husband, a wife, two kids, and they took their time on the holiday. Maybe it was Christmas Eve, wrapped presents for us um, and brought toys, not only to my family, but to other families. And so that left an impression on me that there's people out there helping people and even, you know when I get the chance, if I ever get the chance, I want to help people when I, when I grow up. But, um, I always knew I wanted to be a professional. athlete. we know it's like 0.001% that I actually make it. I never waned on that thought that I could or couldn't do that. I always thought that I could achieve from a very young age. And, but my parents instilled that in me, you know, my mom said, anything you put your mind to, you dedicate your time and you commit to it, no matter what it is in life, we don't care what you are. As long as you're doing what you love and passionate about. You'll be able to do it and so that was the belief we didn't have money but we had a belief and a love in each other
0: oh man i love that we didn't have money but we had a belief and a love in each other that's that quote right there we just end this thing and everybody could be better just from that quote alone that's awesome so you made it to the nfl you absolutely crushed it how did that journey to and through the nfl shape who you are today because just in case people don't know post nfl you are now a champion for equality and making a massive difference you've been invited to the white house a couple of times Couple times, is that right?
1: Yeah, been there probably four or five, six times, yeah.
0: Wow, that's insane. And you're an incredible entrepreneur in a lot of different businesses at the exact same time. So what impact did your journey to and through the NFL have on you today as a as an adult?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing I can take away, well there's probably two things is one is teamwork. And you can't do anything by yourself. So we learned that early on in life with people helping out, you know, my family, whether it was the government or the community um, on NFL team, you have a guy to the left of you, a guy to the right of you, and you have to be accountable to those guys that you're going to do your job bigger than that. You have 60 guys on a team. You have a city on your back an organization on your back. So there's actually a lot of pressure to succeed in the NFL. Um, more than any business, the second that you're not valuable to the team, the NFL is a revolving door. So NFL, not for long NFL, no free lunch, so whatever other acronyms you want to tag onto the national football league a lot of those apply so it's a constant revolving door over 10 years you know the teams constantly revolving my team was completely different when i was on the ravens 2018 team to the 2012 championship team, completely different team. So the second you're not relevant and really business the same thing, but it takes longer. You know, like we talked about all the vacancies, um, whether it be in, in LA or different cities where we see tenants coming in and coming out, it might take a year. It might take, you know, a little bit of time on an NFL team. The second you have a bad game, or maybe it's two bad games, who cares if it's the middle of the season, we're going to get you out and we're going to get a new player in. So it just taught me that you have to seize the day. You have to capture every moment and every single day you have to wake up, improve yourself every single day
0: from a leadership standpoint in let's call it the real world now do you find you lead with that same type of mentality uh, with all of your employees and and business partners
1: yeah I mean I think I do I think I'm a little bit more forgiving than the NFL is Um, I think one of the most important things I can do as a leader is I have to find out you know why are you here what's your passion why do you want to work for Orange Theory Fitness and also what's your one three and five year goals and do those two mesh mesh up does your passion and your goals mesh up? And if they do, then I got to get you into the system. And then I got to get you up through the system. And if I can't take you up, then I have to get you out and replace you. So um, I, I come at it a little bit differently, whereas NFL teams is what can you do for us? And me, I kind of take my business on as what can I do for you? I service my employees. My employees service our thousands and thousands of members. If I service my employees, then my employees will service the members greatly and will be successful as a team together. And
0: that's NFL really that taught me all that. That's really cool. It sounds like it almost taught you servant leadership. That's really cool. So the NFL gave you notoriety. The NFL gave you money. You, know, you made millions playing ball. But you've leveraged that notoriety and money to make an epic difference in this world post-football, both as a champion of equality, like I mentioned before, and as a great entrepreneur. So those are the things that this podcast literally represents. People who have taken their wealth or their fame and used it to make the world a better place which one do you want to dive into first, the equality or the entrepreneurship side?
1: Well, let's talk about equality because if you're not treated fairly, if you don't get an even shot to be successful based on your gender, based on your ethnicity, based on your religion, your nationalism, or whatever it is, then who cares about entrepreneurship? You don't have a shot anyway. So let's dive in with the equality piece first. All right, perfect.
0: Fundamental building blocks first. Where'd your passion for equality come from? Was there a moment, an experience?
1: Yeah. So there wasn't, there wasn't necessarily a moment, but I kind of, you know, I kind of didn't ever fit in anywhere, but at the same time I fit in everywhere. So if I could just dive in a little bit deeper, you're like, what is this guy talking about? So like I mentioned, my dad's Nigerian, my mom's Irish. So if I'm with the Irish family, everybody's white and I'm, you know, I'm Brown. If I'm with the Nigerian family, everybody's dark and I'm this light color. They basically consider me white. So it's like, as a kid, I either wasn't black enough or I wasn't white enough, or was I Mexican? What was I? (laughs) So, um, which my sister is, by the way. Um, Excuse me. So um, I kind of felt like I didn't fit in, but at the same time, I thought I I felt like I could fit in. I was dynamic personality-wise enough to get in and get along with everybody, because, okay... Black people, Um, for example, growing up as a kid, yeah, I had nappy hair. I had to, you know, condition my hair, brush my hair and do all the things that you would do to fit into that community. Or uh, I went to, you know, Catholic white churches and communion and all that stuff as a kid. So that was kind of different than, you know, black churches and whatnot. So I had little cultural pieces that allowed me to fit in everywhere or poverty or whatever it was. Um, that I, I could pretty much get in and fit in everywhere. So I kind of make, once again, as a, as a child, we're so impressionable as children, I made a pact to myself that I was always going to treat everybody fairly and that I wasn't going to see anybody by what's on their surface. I was going to see people by what was inside their heart. And I made that pact to myself early on as a young child.
0: That's incredible. So being around all that diversity and kind of being in the middle of it, the way you defined it gave you probably the most well-rounded view of it as you could have possibly wished for growing up, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, like, in growing up, you know, you'd see stuff about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, lots of different things going on in our communities with... um uh, conflict in the seventies with, with different ethnicities and races. And, you know, how do we quell those things and how does it manifest and take its form, whether it's immigration, whether it's LGBT rights or other things that are going on in the community. So, um, I think I kind of grew up in the perfect storm. I think, you know, people in the seventies, um, grew up with a lot of different things. We're a nation in transition, um, a nation that was growing, coming out of wars and accepting equality and love is love and all these different things. So, um, I was really built by the community. I was kind of shaped by the things that were going on around me as an early age. And oddly enough, those things are more present than ever in society now in 2017.
0: Why is that? I mean, it's crazy to think that it's 2017 and this is still an issue. What's the biggest hurdle? Like, why is this not seeping into people's brains? What... What's the biggest battle that we're fighting right now?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. If I had the answer, then we'd be making even more of a difference than we are. But, you know, I think people have a hard time just seeing people for people. And we want to just assume and have these preconceived notions or whatever it is. And probably one of the best examples I can give is I'm walking down the street with my French bulldog. My French bulldog is 20 pounds. He's a lover. He wants to kiss you or something like that. And people are scared of the dog. Now, just imagine... It's not the dog that people are scared of in society, it's the person. So now imagine me, I'm not walking without a dog and they just see the person, whether it's the skin or whatever it is, it's as if I'm walking with a scary dog. Whether it's a French bulldog, whether it's waffles that's an amazing golden doodle or whatever it is, they're just lovers. But I'm a person that I'm just a lover, right? I'm not gonna hurt anybody. If anything, if I'm walking down the street with you and something happens to you, I'm gonna be your biggest ally because I'm gonna go to bat for you or I'm gonna try to protect a stranger if somebody was getting harmed. So I think we just have preconceived notions about people when we see them as if they're walking with a scary dog. Now, that can take shape if it's somebody that's Muslim. Um, whether you know people are homophobic, whether it's different ethnicities, you know I brought up Islam just because that's religion, but maybe people from different ethnicities or whatever it is, I think you know we're in a very sensitive culture right now just because of all the different things that are happening in the world.
0: So where does the prejudice come from? I want to use your analogy because it's a great analogy. You know somebody sees a bulldog or a pit bull or something and they have this preconceived notion and they kind of take a little detour around the dog. Is that an experience they had? Is that something they were taught? Where does this garbage come from?
1: Yeah, I think one would probably think that it's something that they were taught. Um, it's because, you know, prejudice is, isn't something that you're born with. It's something that you learn. So now we have to figure out, OK, what are those prejudices that people have and how do we unlearn those? How do we teach people to be comfortable? So um, the, the biggest thing, the easiest way to explain it is, you know, there's arachnophobia, arachnophobia. People are scared of spiders. People are scared of certain things when the spider's probably more scared of you. Or if you're out there, the dog's probably more scared of you. But we're people, though. We're not talking person to animal or person to insect. It's person to person. So I think you know. It's it, that's why I'm, I'm such a huge um, advocate for the LGBTQ community, and some guys are scared of other guys that are gay. Like, I don't, you know, like they think that other guys are going to hit on them because they're gay. It's like thinking that every woman's going to hit on you because she's a heterosexual woman, which we know doesn't happen. So probably the same thing in the gay community. So I think, you know, just breaking down those barriers and really just having the opportunities to get people and educate people on some of their fears.
0: So how has your, your fame, your notoriety, your financial success helped you in leveraging success in this fight?
1: Yeah, well, I think more than anything, it's given me a platform. Um, People actually listen. You see Super Bowl champion, you see NFL athlete, and then that brings, you know, responsibility and it brings a platform with it when you're attached to those things. Had I not been, you know, the things that I was in the past um, or have that history, then there would not be as many people listening. But to be the first athlete to talk about marriage equality or to talk about LGBT rights, Um, in unison with one of my other um, counterparts in the NFL, Scott Vegeta, we're kind of doing it at the same time back in 2009. Um, So people listen when they see that. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, they're not scared of that. And you know, earlier, we're talking about masks that people wear that men wear masks, and they hide, you know, behind certain things. Um, I was just fortunate that it was the right place in the right time, even though it wasn't popular then, but it actually really put propelled me into the next category of a conscientious athlete where, you know, all of a sudden, not that I can be compared to, but people would compare me to a Muhammad Ali or a Jackie Robinson in that I had a dog in the fight when I really didn't have to have a dog in the fight. So um, more than anything, just brought people to listen. I think it brought us a little bit closer. Athletes, artists, influencers are able to do just that and influence.
0: Is it going to take a a massive movement in the NFL where all of a sudden it's out and accepted for everyone else to start? letting down their guard, or can this be a, a one-person-at-a-time kind of thing that starts to you know, move the world towards a, a towards equality as opposed to towards prejudice? Yeah, well, I mean, I
1: think you have to look at Colin Kaepernick and what he did last year. Like, he held to his guns, like, I'm not going to stand up. And it's, you know, with with the National Anthem and all the things that are going on in our country, is everybody really being treated fairly? So I'm just going to stay on one knee, and until that day happens, then... I'll stand up, but if it's not going to happen, then I'm going to stay on a knee. And now you see that he's not in the league right now. And he is probably, you know, a top 20 quarterback in the NFL. There's other guys being signed. So when you see guys are voicing their opinions and they're still being reprimanded for it, then less people are going to be likely to voice their opinions. But he fought the fought. He walked the walk. Um, So it's a tough situation, but it's going to take more of that. And I think it's going to take even maybe – Where you've seen entire teams band together to make a difference or make a change or even protest, you know, not having a coach in a situation uh, or being a part of a team when they use certain language, which we've seen coaches get fired because the players banded together like we're not going to play for this coach because this coach can't just go call us the N word and use um, derogatory language towards different ethnicities on the team. So I think it's going to be something like that. We're just going to have to band together, and we're going to have to make more more change. But I, I really salute Colin Kaepernick for the sacrifices he made for this country.
0: So let's talk about Cap, because what a great example that kind of leads into the next question that I wanted to ask you. And that is, here we we see him not signing with the team, and like you said, he's probably a top twenty quarterback right now. And so many people use, not his example, but that interfere. that if I speak up or if I take a side or if I take a stand, it could hurt my business or it could hurt my reputation. Give us the other view. How can it enhance your business? How can it enhance your success by speaking up, being loud, taking a stand for whatever it is that you believe in?
1: Right, well I think people wanna see um, conscientious business being, you know, conscientious business practices. You know, so I think the NFL kind of took a hit when they weren't standing, excuse me, on the side of equality and other organizations were like MLB, soccer, and all these other organizations were saying, oh, we need equality. So I think you need to be transparent, especially if you're on the right side of things. Um, And so then we see that that consumers, they want transparency. Consumers want to do business with companies that do good business. So for example, who's kind of on the hook, who's kind of in the hot seat right now. Uber's in the hot seat. Um, and that's the fastest company ever to 50 billion, valued at over 70 billion right now. But people are, are talking about Uber and their their social equity, their value's kind of going down even though revenue's still doing really well. But um, um, you see Fox is kind of always on the hot seat. They had to replace some of their longtime hosts and whatnot for some of the language and stuff that they were using. So people people wanna go for the good guy. People wanna go for the businesses that are helping people. Um, Andre, as an entrepreneur myself, I want to be in a sustainable business. I looked at, you know, I'm in franchising now. There's lots of different franchises out there. Oh, McDonald's. Could I do that? Is that a sustainable business? Yeah, well, it grows every year, but what does it do to its consumers? Does it make its consumers better or does it make its consumers worse? Oh, in my opinion, and probably it's fact, their consumers are actually worse off just because the quality of the food. Oh, there's Orange Theory on the other hand now. What kind of sustainable business is that, you know? Are we giving back to our members? Are our members getting better? Are they getting healthier? Does this type of training allow you to live longer, healthier, and happier? Yes, it does. Then that's kind of something that I want to do. So I think anytime you make any business decision, are you on the right side of things? And sometimes society kind of dictates what's the right side so while it wasn't popular for me to talk about marriage equality in 2009 finally when everybody started thinking about marriage equality 2012 and forward then it was the great thing to do everybody wanted to do it and talk about it so um, for me you just got to stick to your guns eventually as americans we're going to get it right it might take a little bit longer but eventually we're going to get it right and you want to be on the right side when that hits
0: you know we're seeing a lot lot of that right now i I call it socially conscious entrepreneurship and, and i almost feel like we're moving into a time where you will not have a thriving business period unless you are a part of the socially conscious entrepreneurship movement that's going on. And I I know you do that with all of your Orange Theory locations, and you're in a ton of businesses. We were talking about it before. You're, You're the ultimate entrepreneur, but one of your biggest ones is Orange Theory, correct? Yes. So give us an example of how you've used socially conscious entrepreneurship to grow your Orange Theory multiple, multiple locations?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the most important things we do is we try to give back to the community. So as of late, we just worked with Project Angel Food. Anytime anybody uh, checked in on Facebook, we donated a dollar to Project Angel Food. We donated over $2,000 in the month. But when we did that, one of our members matched us because it was such an amazing business. Um, Project Angel Food delivers food to the sick and the needy in Los Angeles. Um, We're also doing things uh, with angel city games or angel city sports which is a platform for adaptive sports athletes so if you're born with a genetic difference or maybe you were a soldier and you lost a limb of course you still want to compete you still have the desire to exude your athleticism so we give them a platform to do track and field to play basketball and of course it's for all adaptive sports athletes so we work with angel city sports um and we're always just thinking about the community like today's national national uh fit day so uh, get fit don't sit today so we're working with the american diabetes association with that we're working with the american uh, heart association so we always want to give back and give to charitable organizations and help those organizations raise money raise awareness so we can continue our impact to make the world a better place
0: so what about the entrepreneur or a person who wants to make as big a difference as you're making but they don't have the the celebrity and the money and the influence How, how can they make a difference
1: I mean, I think it's more about time. I think the time sometimes is even more important than the money. I think, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. What's more valuable, really? What's more valuable, time or money? Well, without time, you don't have any money. So I think, you know, if you're just looking at your business, any way that you can impact. So when I was, when you invited me to do this podcast, I know you had a very deep pool. Uh, my goal is just to help one person in doing this pod, this podcast. And sometimes it's the interviewer you're helping somebody that's new and up and coming. Sometimes, you know, they don't have a deep pool. A lot of people, maybe I'm helping that one person and it's the interviewer. Maybe there's one person listening where I can give them one tidbit of information that's going to help them and be better. So I think it just starts with one. So even if you're an entrepreneur, if you're helping one person make a difference, make a change, it starts with one. And then all that will gain critical mass and it'll, be a big you know snowball by the time it's all said and done
0: yeah that butterfly effect you know one helps one they help one they help one they help one that can't start if you don't first help one right
1: yeah absolutely and I think you know, when you're thinking about business and you're getting all your stuff together, and you're like, "Man, I'm barely getting it together myself," but if you can pull somebody along with you, it's not about the the, the amount of people that you can climb over. It's about taking those people with you, um, and it just starts with one. So something very simple. And even if you're just donating your time, like for example, I purposely don't have a 501c3. I don't have a nonprofit. Because it's just not in my wheelhouse. Now, what do I do? I go to different organizations and I partner with them either as an advocate um, or as an ally. And I'll partner with other organizations, but I make sure that on my schedule, at least once a month, there's something community service based. Um, somehow, some way, we're gonna raise money. We did over $2 million for Auggie's Quest, and that's for ALS prevention, education, and awareness. Um, and if you don't know about ALS, basically it shuts down all your motor skills. You become trapped inside your own body, hundred percent cognizant. You can't move. You can't even breathe on your own. So, um, I have five friends with ALS right now, and I was so stoked when Orange Theory, uh, decided to partner with ALS. We did one month. We partnered them with, for, for, with them for about a month. We let them know we're going to do one class. Every Orange Theory, all 600 across the world are going to do one class. It's a charity based class. You can participate. You can donate. And from 600 studios, we we raised over $2 million. I think Augie's Quest did about $3.5 million this year, and Orange Theory did over half of it, which is amazing.
0: It's incredible. You know, we just established that everybody can help somebody, and and, and that's massively important. But let's be honest. Is it easier to make an even bigger impact if you have put in the time and effort to be successful and you've got kind of a bigger shovel to work with, so to speak? Yeah, you know, to to whom much
1: is given, much is expected. So. You have some, I mean, you, even if you know it or not, when you're successful, there's eyes on you. So if you go out there and you have an amazing business and you're going out there and with that amazing business comes a lot of employees. Now you you have your own little ecosystem. So for us, we have over 80 employees. My employees are buying new cars, they're moving into into new houses. Everybody's looking at Orange Theory right now, whether I like it or not, whether I admit it or not, people are looking at us. So we have this critical mass that comes with all these employees that are seeing success, paying off their bills, going to a job that they love, um, changing people's lives as members, thousands of members. Um, But even if you're doing that on a small scale, responsibility comes with that and people are watching. So don't ever underestimate your power. That's one of my favorite quotes. And maybe I made it up. Maybe I heard it somewhere. (laughs) Don't ever underestimate your power. Yeah. (laughs) And you can do so much. And, And when I had nothing, I was going to elementary schools and just doing you know, two days a week at an elementary school, two hours a week. And I still know some of those kids. They follow me on Instagram. I talk to them. Those kids have kids now. I volunteered for fifth graders while I went to UCLA. And I still talk to some of them. And they see me kind of as their idol or their hero. Um, And it's amazing. So you can don't ever underestimate your power to make an impact and to make change. It's
0: incredible. You know, we talked earlier that you grew up in the projects. How did you view money and people with money growing up?
1: Man, I was like, how do I get some of that? You know, like it'd be really nice to not have to stand in line with food stamps. I was so embarrassed as a kid, I was so ashamed. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. My mom's sitting there with this fake money. It's not even green, it's brown. You know, now a lot of things are done on credit cards so that humility is taken away. Um, or to sit in lines and really are sitting in a long line with all other families getting powdered milk, getting free cereal, getting government cheese. We're all in there together, right? Um, it would have been nice to not have to walk home in Chicago, Illinois, in the cold, carrying, you know, these groceries that the government just gave us money to carry. We didn't have a car walking home a mile and 15 below with the wind chill. So it would have been nice to get in a car and do that. It would have been nice to to live in a in a home that didn't have ro- roaches um, and didn't have gangbangers where you just didn't know if you could even get in your door without getting shot. So um, with money comes responsibility, but also comes you know, a lot of hard work behind it, but think of all the things that you can do to change your life, to live an easier life, a better quality of life. And now you can go with peace of mind and help other people. So they're not in those situations. So, I mean, really, I mean, there's nothing wrong with money. I think the most important thing in life, and, you know, we kind of delved into a little bit, is that do something that you're passionate about, do something that you love, do something that's in your wheelhouse, do something that you're good at, And hopefully if you're doing that, then there's something that that comes along with that, Um, whether it's the passion to do what you do, but hopefully monetarily you're being, um, you're being given the money that you deserve to do your job and do your job really good.
0: So now let's talk about your kids. You know, I've met your kids. They're amazing. Um, But they're growing up in a privileged lifestyle, the opposite of of how you grew up. How do you want your kids to define success and view money as they grow up?
1: Yeah, you know, that's such a good question. And that's the question that every parent should ask ask themselves at some point in time. Um, I'm a giver and I don't believe in birthdays. I don't believe in holidays because if my kids want something or if I want to provide something for my family, I'm going to provide it. Um, of course I want them to earn it. Most of the time they do, but not always. But then when it's time for Christmas, I'm like every day's Christmas here. So you shouldn't really expect anything for Christmas or birthdays. What I need to do is I need to learn how to scale back, not give them anything for a month before the holidays. And then the holiday comes and then boom, I can give them something. Then they probably think I was a better dad. Um, but yeah, so growing up from, from having nothing, I want my kids to understand the value of earning what you do have. So I don't know if I've completely dialed into that yet. I know there's there's something I'm doing right though, because I hear my kids saying, Oh, those are the rich kids, or those kids have this or those kids have that. And you know, I kinda know. Yeah. You know, I kinda know, like, well, you know. It's funny, the perspective. Yeah, I I don't say this, but in my mind I'm like, I have a lot more money than they have. And if you if I wanted to really get you those things, I could, but good thing I'm not. So um, it's funny when I hear my kids say that it's probably one of the more funnier things in my day when I hear that, but I know that I'm doing something right. Cause I just don't give them everything at some point. Um, they're learning the value of, of, of earning and working for what they have, but not close to what I experienced as a kid. So, Man, cool. um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's actually a really good question. It's probably going to have to be something I'm gonna have to go home and write down and, and kind of come up with a new strategy for that. So thank you for bringing that to my attention.
0: (laughs) No problem. Hey, listen, you're doing it right. I met your kids. They're they're absolutely amazing. Now let's take this a step further. Um, We hear people sometimes complain about the money that pro athletes make and they always compare it to, you know, teachers and nurses, you know, they barely get by on an average income and, and pro athletes are making millions. It's not fair. What are your feelings around this?
1: Right. That's a great question. Um, so anything in life is, it's not about what's fair. It's what does the market dictate? So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the athletes make. The athletes make, you know, 50% of what the owners make. If the owners are making $2 billion, then the athletes are going to make 1 billion. So it's just a metric. It's just a piece of the pie that the athletes get. And the athletes are always going to get less of the pie. Than the owners and there's always going to be more athletes than owners so you just need to understand the economics of the situation now if we look at what are teachers making do they deserve more absolutely teachers have such an important job my kids go to public school i went to public school i think it's really important now if it's that important to everybody in our society now how do we take money out of the pie take it away from one sector and give it to the sector where it's children or whether it's police officers or firemen or whatever it is that our public servants Um, we need to find a way to, to invest more, but we should, I mean, our children, we should invest more in our children and that's investing more in our teachers. So I definitely believe teachers deserve more, but when it comes to athletes and the money they make, they just make a piece of the pie, whatever the market dictates that the size of that pie is the athletes are always going to get a piece of it. And of course the NBA, hockey, MLB, NFL, MLS, whatever it is, they all have different collective bargaining agreements. They all get a different amount of the pie, but the owners get most of it. So you can't really complain about what what the the players are making. If you are complaining about it, then that's fine. Then just don't buy tickets. Don't watch the games. And then that's kind of your way of protesting. And if enough people do that, then the pie will get smaller, right? You keep watching. You keep going to games. You keep doing all the things you're doing. The pie is just going to get bigger. Athletes are going to get more money. And they deserve the money, quite frankly. I mean, as a football player, your life's on the line. Baseball, basketball, anything can happen. We've seen basketball players drop dead on the court before Hank gathers at LMU. Um, So it happens. Um, but they just get a piece of the pie and it's all just economics. So if you understand the economics, then I think you'll be a little bit more comfortable about understanding why athletes get the money that they get, but owners get more.
0: So speaking of athletes and the money that they make, you know, the tagline for this podcast is when good people make good money, they do great things. So as an average, inherently, do you see NFL players, NBA players, like any pro athletes or even celebrities in general, do you see more of them doing good things because of their wealth and success, or do you see more of them maybe not living up to what they could be doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you see athletes in there playing, I think you see maybe a little bit more of both. You see a little bit more good things. You also see a little bit more things that you might want to turn your head away from just because of pop culture and society and the things that are really popular, the things, the things that a 22-year-old guy is doing which any 22-year-old guy, if he had $5 million a year, might be doing the same things, popping bottles uh, at clubs, driving expensive cars. Maybe he gets a DUI and he wrecks his $350,000 Lamborghini, which I've seen before. Sorry, Lance Briggs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But, um, yeah, so I think you see maybe a little bit more of everything, but the same token, not to throw my buddy Lance Briggs under the bus. I love the guy immensely. He's in the community. He has high schools named after him because he bought a whole new foot, million dollar football field for the high school, or he's helping kids and he's doing all these other things that he has based off the money that he made when he played, you know? So, um, I think it's a double-edged sword a little bit, but, um, more than anything, what do athletes do after they play? I'm not so concerned about what you do. You identified with being an athlete since you were five. Now you're 30 years old and you're retired. What are you going to do now? And that's really where I'm passionate and what I'm passionate about. It's, it's, after the sport. What are you doing afterwards? Um, it's easy to be there and to, you know, you're, you're committed to X amount of community service when you're playing sports. Every team has X amount of community service that comes with that contract. Um, so it's easy to go out there and give and everybody loves you and you want to go to, you know, communities where you can make the biggest impact. What do you do after when the sport's gone? Um, and I believe that a lot of athletes, all they know is their sport and their sport is who they are.
0: That's incredible kind of is a good lead into the next section. I've been doing this thing where I make everybody brag, like even if you're uncomfortable, you gotta unapologetically brag about either your favorite giving moment or your favorite causes that you're directly making a difference in right now. So for the next few minutes, what are you most proud of in terms of the causes that you're working on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like to talk about myself. I love me some me. Um, <laughs> I always say that there's, there hasn't been a Nigerian that's ever committed suicide. So my Nigerian <laughs> side is really confident. Maybe my Irish side sometimes like question myself a little bit, but all right, let's dive in. Probably the most exciting thing that I ever did, as I mentioned, I grew up in the Lather Homes Projects in Chicago um, on Clybourne. So when I signed my contract with the Chicago Bears, I was able to play in the same city that I grew up in, um, at least until I was 10. So I went back into Lathrop Homes and I bought like 150 turkeys and I did Thanksgiving, just like that family on Christmas donated to us. Hands down, the best charitable thing I ever did. Like I could wake up with a boner every day if I thought about that, um, just because that was me. That kid, that family, all those people that ate those turkeys, that was me. So that was amazing. I still like, gives me goosebumps right now. Um, but I need to replicate that. I need to redo that. Like, like this this Thanksgiving, let's Let's do do something. Let's do it. 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 it Absolutely. All right. Me and you, Thanksgiving 2017, we're going to do something amazing for the city of LA or, or, um, Santa Monica or just impact our community in an amazing way. Um, I'm really proud about lgbt advocacy and it's not about lgbt it's about equality for everybody so right now you know a lot of things going on with police and people of color um, lots of things going on with immigration lots of things going on with you know our new president and grab her by her you know um, and certain things like that so it's all about equality because the second you take it away from one group then everybody it's taken away from everybody so either we all have it it's a zero-sum game. We all have it or nobody has it. So really a proud, really proud about championing equality um, and just all the different things that I mentioned, Angel City Sports, adaptive sports athletes. I think the way that I look at equality and the way that I look at serving the community, it's like my portfolio. It's diverse. So I have a sector where I'm helping diabetes, American Heart Association, which my son was born with a heart defect and had to have heart surgery. So that's near and dear to me. My mom has diabetes. Um, helping... Uh, helping feed communities or helping feed people that don't have food. So that's something that we do with project angel food, um, LGBT community. So it's kind of like a portfolio. It's diverse. I want to be able to help every group in some way, shape or form and things that are out of the norm. So NFL, it's safe. Oh, let's talk about poverty. Let's talk about, um, education, and let's, let's help our soldiers in some way, shape, or form. They kind of stay in that wheelhouse. I want to go outside of the box. Let's help people with AIDS. Let's help, let's help um, adaptive sports athletes. Let's help the LGBTQ community. So that's really where I come from as well.
0: It's incredible. You just said something that really hit me. You said make, your, make the impact in, the, in your causes as diverse as your portfolio. That's a great way to look at it. That really is. So before, but wait, I'm not done yet. No, no I'm, just I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm
1: sorry. I know I had a couple of minutes, but I think I went a little too far. No, no, so. no, no, good roll. You got some more? Yeah, no, that's that's it. That's great. No.
0: So before I ask you the last question, everyone's gonna want to look you up, everyone's gonna wanna find you, they're gonna wanna find out how they can make a difference to the causes that mean something to you. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so you know, before I start, I think, you know, make an impact in the causes that you're passionate about in the causes that that affect your life, you know, whether it's mental health or, you know, something like my family where diabetes just hit and we learned that my mother has it. Um, if it's religion based, if it's, um, if it's nationally based, like if it's Haiti or poor countries, or if it's fresh water, if it's recycling, if it's a healthy earth, if it's animals, if it's elephants or whatever it is, make a difference in the causes that you're passionate about. Um, If you want to find me, I think probably the easiest way, there's probably two easy ways to find me. Um, You can find me on Instagram. It's at Brendan three one zero and I'm Irish. So there's no and in Brendan. So it's B R E N D O N three one zero. And then on my Facebook, I have a, a public profile on Facebook as well. And it's just Brendan Ayan Bodejo. Good luck spelling my last name. But you'll see a blue check by both of those and that'll verify that it is in fact me. And if, yeah, if I could tell you anything to do, go and and find something that's in your community. Find something that's hyper-local where not only can you make an impact, but you can check in on that person and you can see that you directly made a difference. That'll give you so much social equity. That'll make you feel so good. That'll give you the energy and the power to want to give more and more when you directly see the people that you're impacting and it's not about writing a check it's about making a difference
0: absolutely i freaking love that so here is the last question i ask everybody this question i guess so many different answers why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success man you have some good questions and, and i think that
1: if you are you then you can't really apologize to people for being you right? So you have to go out there and not only be you, but be the best you that you can be. So live every day, exhaust life every single day. That's a quote I heard from Ronnie Lott. So exhaust life. If you're living life to the fullest and doing everything you can to be the best you and to make a difference, then there's no need to be, you know, apologetic about anything. So for me, you know, my goals are, yeah, my goals are to make a lot of money with orange theory and and eventually go on and be a serial franchisor, franchisee, and do more and more business. But eventually, I want to have a school named after me, a building named after me at UCLA. Or I want to have a high school field named after Brendan I and Bodejo for making an impact in buying um, a million-dollar football field. So I want to use that um whatever wealth or whatever comes my way, I want to use it to make a difference. And I think, you know, back to, you know, kind of talking about our president again, I'm sure there's a lot of good things that he does, but then maybe there's some also some things that he does that makes us question, um, the value that you're bringing. Right. So, um, I think it's not about how much money you make do what you love. If you love turns into dollars and cents, then that's even more amazing. And then if those dollars and cents can go and help and impact and change communities, then that's even more amazing. So your abilities first start with you. The first thing you can do is the best you, the best family, the best father, brother, son, husband, wife, sister, daughter. And then right then and there, just by being the best you, you're impacting people around you and you're making those people better. Now, if you're, whatever you're doing, if it makes money, then cool. That's a great thing. How can you give back when you're making that money? Can you bring people up, raise people up, raise the community up? And that's really what success is, is being the best you, impacting the people around you. And then can you cast a bigger net? Can you drop a bigger pebble into the ocean? Can that pebble be a rock, a stone, a boulder? And now those ripple effects go into the community. So I just think it really um, starts with you and then cast it from
0: there. Man, I love it. Brendan, you crushed it, man. You nailed it. I'm so grateful. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks
1: for having me on. And I can't wait to do it again if you have me back.
0: Dude, I will have you back. And you know, here's when I'll have you back. We're going to have to do a recap about what we do for Thanksgiving. Sounds Absolutely. Good? That sounds good. All right. It's on. Awesome. Thanks, my man. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way. If you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends, I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.